What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is July 24th, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, and you can email me, Jason, at overthecap.com. As usual, I am joined by Nellie the Bunny, who probably has no comments here, but looks like she's scratching or something. Uh, Nellie, anything? I'll just double check here. Nothing. Oh, we got a hop at least somewhere in there. Uh, otherwise, no, not too much going on from Nelly. So we're recording this one on a Sunday afternoon. So we've got the light beer today. So uh, today is the all-day IPA by Founders. Um, yeah, it's a it's a decent, low-impact uh, IPA kind of drink. So it's uh, it's better than the, I would say, the low-carb um, stuff that kind of is out there. But, um, you know, it's definitely something that that's just kind of like a summertime drink outside in the middle of the day um, kind of beer compared to some of the other stuff that is out there. Um, last night, if anyone saw my stuff on Twitter, decided to go out and grab a drink and got to the bar and there was QVC on. I mean, it, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. They had uh, soccer on. They had um, some old MSG stuff uh, that was running on there. And then next thing I know, there was QVC on one station. So I, uh, I got to fill everybody in on the, the amazing um, purses that were being shown last night. I've never seen anything like it. It was, uh, it was quite surprising um, to see that. So that was my adventure from last night. And um, by the time I got back, and it wasn't very late, but I just said, ah, it's been a long day, so I'll do the podcast tomorrow. Uh, whenever I get a chance, so that's why I'm recording now. Um, I'm not sure if this will be too long a one. Really, the main news of the week and only news of the week is uh, Kyler Murray signs his big contract extension. This is something that Murray has been looking for since February when his agents very publicly um, leaked a letter out that they had sent to the Cardinals basically saying, pay or we won't play. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a bad strategy. I'm not sure if it was a good one, um, but I, I don't think it was a bad one. But, you know, the, the timing of it, this is the time when these deals happen anyway. So I don't think that really pushed it one way or the other. It just probably made it look like there was a lot of hard work going on if you're just trying to prove, you know, to your client that you, you are pushing the team very hard for an extension. And I think when you look at the numbers on this deal, I, I think it's pretty clear that this is, it's a fair deal for both parties. Um, I think that it showed that Murray really wanted to get a deal done and didn't want to chance playing this season out. Who knows? Maybe it's watching what happened to Baker Mayfield this year. Maybe it's just seeing what's happened to some other quarterbacks like Carson Wentz, like Jared Goff. You know, top young players who have kind of bombed out very quickly um, in their careers. So I think maybe that that was a little bit in his mind in trying to get this deal done now. From a numbers perspective, there's a lot of things in this deal that probably, I think the way that I put it, you know, is mildly disappointing on the agent side. Um, I think if you were trying to look for certain things as an agent and hoping that you could get some help from other people, that didn't happen here. 
you know, th- this was the this was the one chance that I, I think players had to, to try to make that Deshaun Watson deal more legitimate uh, in terms of the guarantees and everything else. And they didn't do that here at all. Um, the, this contract follows very much the same models as the Josh Allen and to a lesser extent, Patrick Mahomes. The Mahomes contract is so long. Uh, but, you know, it, it follows that type of model uh, where the guaranteed percentage of the deal at signing isn't really very high, but it gets there. Um, you know, the, you don't get the, you certainly don't get that full guarantee. You don't get the astronomical salary numbers on the front end of this contract. Um, they're good numbers. And, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at those in a second. They're, they're good numbers. But if you were looking for something that was going to push forward, um, you didn't get it. And, you know, I, I never thought the guarantee thing was going to be anything. But there were a lot of people online um, who have been hammering this point home. And, I, and you've heard me talk about it before. I didn't think the Watson deal meant anything the same way I didn't think the Kirk Cousins deal meant anything. They're just very unique situations that are only going to show themselves if a quarterback is actually in free agency, um, which probably means getting past three franchise tags if he's to get to free agency. Um, But, you know, if if you were holding out that hope that, yeah, no, these guys know what what they're saying, it does mean something. You know, we heard the Ravens owner say it means something. We heard Cowboys say, oh, it means something. Didn't mean anything. So right back to square one. When it comes to contract guarantees, contract structure, uh, he takes some things in this deal that are very untypical for a quarterback. There is, uh, I believe it's $4.25 million in per-game bonuses across the life of the contract. That's the highest in the NFL right now. And it's probably, I'm trying to think of players who may have been higher. I, I mean, I guess it's possible Colin Kaepernick maybe was higher. Um, no, but it's a big number. And while relative to the size of the contract, that's probably not that big, you don't see star quarterbacks get this in their deals. Um, the, the only deal that even has them right now is Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo would be considered a, a much lower level quarterback just in terms of pedigree and everything else than Kyler Murray. Um, and even early, even early on before he became a starter, I think there was already a injury prone label to him. Uh, when he came over to San Francisco. And San Francisco also has the per-game bonus as a major part of what they do. So for San Francisco, getting a quarterback to take large per-game bonuses is incredibly important in the grand scheme of things for the way that they structure all their contracts. Because if their quarterback is taking it, there's no other player on the team that can really say, I'm not going to take it. I'm digging my heels in. I refuse to take it. Probably is not going to happen. Arizona is not that kind of team. They do use them. It's not that they don't use them. But unless this is going to be like a new thing for them to where, okay, this is the new standard and we're going to we're gonna push this on everybody. You know, this is a standout to me. This is just, you know, a minor amount of protection, but protection nonetheless. Um you know, for the team, that there's at least a little money, a little bit of money that they can recover in the event that he misses games. These are 46-man roster bonuses or 48-man roster bonuses. They're not the um, 
53-man or 90-man variety that are guaranteed to be earned. They, they will only be earned if he's actually playing in a given week. Uh, the other thing is there's massive workout bonuses in this contract, $9.3 million. Again, not something that's typical and definitely not typical of Arizona's structure. Arizona doesn't have, I don't think they have any players with workout bonus in their contract. So those were really surprising to me. Maybe he pushed for it because it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like um, Kyler Murray has never missed any offseason workouts, so that's never been an issue. If you're looking for holdout protection, you wouldn't have roster bonuses in this every year. You'd have reporting bonuses for training camp. You know, you, you would be tying everything to that kind of stuff, and you know th- they're not doing that here. It's just a it's just a workout, so. I don't see it as holdout protection, you know, the, the way that some people said, oh, well, you know, there's questions of leadership. I don't think that's an issue at all. And, you know, he's, as far as I know, he's shown up and he's shown up every year for workouts. So I don't see that as an issue. And, you know, I, I again, unless this is going to be a new thing for them to where they're looking to get more off-season buy-in in their workout program, and now you're going to start including these bonuses in everybody's contract, doesn't really make a lot of sense um, to have these in there, uh, you know, for whatever reasons. You know, I mean, there could be some other reasons they're in there too. Maybe they, they, they needed to hit certain cash numbers, uh, cash flow thresholds. They didn't want to guarantee stuff. So maybe this was a way to, to kind of bridge a little bit of a gap. Well, you know, you get paid some money and, you know, you'll earn it by June, uh, basically, as long as you show up. And we don't have to guarantee it for you. Originally, it was reported that the workout bonus was guaranteed at one of them. It is not. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, that's there. So those are the things that I, I think are a little uh, off on this deal. Guarantee numbers on this one, $160 million is guaranteed for injury. $103.3 million is guaranteed at signing. Those obviously are very big numbers. Um, you know, th- those are, those are going to be your kind of your, your top line numbers, not including that Watson deal. So, you know, you, you're looking at your total guarantee here. Murray's 160 is second in the league. The next highest would be Aaron Rodgers at 150.7. The full guarantee of 103.3 is second in the league. Uh, that beats out Aaron Rodgers at 101.4. And, you know, obviously Watson has the 230 that's guaranteed at signing. So, you know, the, those numbers are good. But I, I thought one of the things when, when looking at these things, and you, you kind of put these guarantees, we don't look at guarantees the right way. All right. I, I don't report on them that way. I don't list them this way, but realistically, we talk about new money whenever we value a contract and we do that. Why? Well, it kind of, it's the fair way to compare free agents and non-free agents. Um, But when it comes to the guarantees, we don't, we don't take out the fact that the player was going to earn his salary this year and in Murray's case this year and next year, whether it was or wasn't guaranteed. In his case, it was guaranteed. But, you know, we we don't talk about new guarantees. Why? Well, because the agents don't want to talk about new guarantees because then it makes the guarantees sound worse. And 
this is why a lot of times you have to look at the scope of the entire contract, how many years the player is going to be committing, and start to kind of put things in perspective here. So in Watson, uh, sorry, in Murray's case, he's now going to be signed for seven years. And for those seven years, he gets the 160 and 1033. So my numbers are going to be a little bit off here. I'm just going by the, the numbers I originally had, um, which were a little bit higher. But the uh, basically, he's got about 61% of the total value on the contract guaranteed for injury and about 39% that's fully guaranteed. So even though though these are going to be reported as the biggest outside of Watson, in reality, the injury guarantee on this falls below Watson, who obviously has the full thing guaranteed, Rodgers, who has 99.9% .9 of his contract guaranteed, Dak Prescott, who has 78.8% of his contract guaranteed, and Matthew Stafford, who has 65.6% .6 of his contract guaranteed. If you go back in time and you look at the other players who he would be compared to, which would be like a Carson Wentz, a Jared Goff, you know, those types of players were also around 70% injury guarantee. So Murray at signing falls way short of that number at 61. Uh, his full guarantee is 39. Again, that falls well behind Rodgers at 67, Watson at 100, Prescott at 59, and uh, that, that's also a little bit behind where Wentz and Wilson were, but not Goff. Uh, Russell Wilson. Um, not sure if I mentioned him in the injury stuff before. So those are things just to keep in mind. You know, if you look at it on a per year basis, Rodgers is 50.3 million per year on injury protection. Pres uh, Prescott's 31.5. Stafford's at 24. Murray's at 23.1. Full guarantee. You've got 33.8 for Rodgers, 23.8 for Prescott. Murray's at 14.9. So when you start looking at it that way, it's one of the reasons why teams make out very well in some of these kind of approaches they take. Because when it comes to the guarantee, mostly players, agents, whatever, are very focused on that total number. And you need to put it in context really of the, the size and the scope of your contract, how many years you're giving up, everything else. And... Um, you know, when you start to look at that, you go, you know, Murray probably could have pushed this further. Now, there is a makeup point for that. And this gets into the Josh Allen um, style contract. Basically, even though we have $160 million that is guaranteed for injury, we actually have additional money that is also guaranteed. Um, so, it, or... It's not guaranteed at signing. It will be guaranteed at a later date. So it, this is a very different type of structure. Um, you know, it's only specific to a handful of players in the league. But basically what's going to happen is that you're going to see an extra $10 million of his 2026 salary become guaranteed in 2025. And then you're going to see an extra 19.5 million of his salary become guaranteed in 2026. And the 2025 guarantee counts in 2026. The 2026 uh, guarantee will count in 2027. So that ups the numbers significantly 
for him. And when when you bring those numbers into play, that does put his contract in terms of protection um, in line with the rest of the market. So while, yeah, it's light on paper, and again, th this is giving more and more options to teams to have at least a little bit of outs in some of these contracts if a player gets hurt or whatever the case might be for why they want to move on or why they want to look to renegotiate a contract. Um, th there is a little bit of a common ground here, I think, that, that probably led to the two sides being able to come to an agreement. Like, they don't want to guarantee this stuff at signing, but they're willing to let it be guaranteed later on. Um, overall contract numbers, this is a very minor movement on the market. Uh, we jump up from 46 to 46.1. That's a big win for Arizona. If you look at every single team that has, I'm um, sorry, every single player at quarterback who has reset the market in some way, shape, or form, um, it's been at least about a half a percent. That was Joe Flacco uh, a couple of years ago when he did that. That was like the lowest number. Um, your lowest number quarterbacks typically are about a 2% jump in the market. Uh, that was Cousins. That was Garoppolo. That's basically been where those players, those types of players have been. On average, quarterbacks jump the market about 7%. Your elite quarterbacks jump the market usually around 12, you know, 11 or 12%. Um, percent. Murray clearly was not an elite-level quarterback. Um, you know, if he was drafted number 15, he's not getting 46-1 at all. So yeah, a lot of this is based, obviously, on where he was drafted. But in terms of moving a market, this is, this is kind of a dud. Um, you know, you, you would have expected at least a little bit more of a jump. I, I would have thought that they would have gotten up to about 48 a year, um, at least 47. 46-1 is just like giving a contract for the sake of giving a contract. Um, when you look at the cash flows on this deal, uh, I think he's number one for a couple of the seasons on it, but he doesn't get the most cash in the first new year of the contract. Uh, first new year, he's at 72.6, which trails Prescott's 75 million. Uh, in year two, he's at 105.3, which is the top earner through two years. This is all new money. Uh, year three, he'll be second to Aaron Rodgers, who's at 150.8. Um, year four, he'll be your top guy by a hair over Deshaun Watson, 184.14 million to 184 million flat. And then year five, 230.5 to 230. So, you know, he, he gets over it. Um, but it, it's not, it's, year two and year three are very good. Uh, I wouldn't say, that, you know, that it, it's a it's a cheaper contract the way that we've seen certain deals go. Um, but it, it doesn't hit like the big jumps that you would expect from some of these deals. So it doesn't build on Prescott's super earnings up front, um, and it really doesn't build on Watson's overall contract size. So I, I think that was a big thing uh, for Arizona. Arizona also got him to give up his 17th game check. 17th game check is a lot of money. So really, it's about um, you know 1.75 million, give or take a little bit that he gave up in there. So you know, um, I'm just looking up 
a number here on this. Let me just check this one. So yeah, so it's about 175 um, that he gives up. So I mean, when you look at it that way, it, it does actually come in under um, Watson's contract, but we're not really looking at deals that way. Um, I, I've only included that 17th game check as part of the old money if it's very clear that the team uh, that the agents are negotiating with it in place. Um, for the agents that have gotten it, it's a, it's a big win for them, even if uh, I'm not reflecting it in the way that I'm presenting the numbers. Um, it, it's a it's a stronger contract than this this type of one where it gives up a lot. Josh Allen gave it up too, so uh, that's not to say that this is out of the norm. Uh, I just wanted to put it out there that that is something that was also given up here. Um, you know, now if you're Murray, are you happy with the deal? Yeah, I, I think you're happy with the deal. You were looking for it, and this is probably millions more than you would have gotten if not for Watson. Um, if that Watson contract doesn't come into play, because the, the Aaron Rodgers thing is always going to be looked at as just kind of like an out there, whatever. Um, it's not going to be looked at as a realistic thing, a realistic target. Let's put it that way. Uh, it, it's it, That one's just a weird one. Um, that's that's there. That That's why when I'm talking about Murray setting a market, it's really because the Aaron Rodgers thing just isn't really part of the, the, the overall quarterback structure. And what was going to go on before this is you were going to have difficulty in passing $45 million because of Mahomes. Once Watson jumped Mahomes, that opens up the market to, to move and move and move. So this is probably $4 million a year more than Arizona anticipated spending on him. I would guess that before this, they would have looked to have put him below Josh Allen, who's at $43 million a year. Maybe they would have slotted him somewhere in between those two, uh, but they definitely were not going to end up going over 45. So that's a big win, I think. Um, the deal is not as long as the Allen contract, so... That's a win as well. Now, it's not as short as the Wentz, Goff, and Prescott contracts, which are four years. So that battle's also been lost by quarterbacks recently uh, in terms of the extensions for the younger quarterbacks. Teams are pushing more and more years on the players, and it seems to be to be moving back in that direction that you're going to tie yourself down for five new years on any of your deals. But those players also did not set the market. Carson Wentz did not set the market when he signed his contract. He came in, you know, a couple million shy of the top number. Um, Jared Goff didn't set the market. He came in a couple of million shy of the top number. Both of those quarterbacks, I think, and I know Goff you're going to get tons and tons and tons of criticism on, but if you just look at the success that those teams had, and where those players were drafted as well, I, I would say that they compare favorably to Murray. So I, I think it's a, it's a win for him that he didn't have to take under the market. Um, 
you know, under that 46, even if we want to take the old money and say, oh, yeah, technically he's under, um, but that he didn't have to go under that to get the deal. But I do think in return, it, it probably has to do a little bit with Arizona getting a fifth year on that contract. Um, so I, I think that, that that's probably part of the give and take of the negotiation, I would think, um, when it came to getting this deal done. And probably the, the fact that they did have to come in higher than they wanted to, that's probably a big portion of the reason that they have that 4.25 million in roster bon and per game bonuses in there, whereas maybe before they wouldn't have had anything. Um, maybe that's a reason, maybe it's a slight reason why those workouts are in there. It gives him a slim opportunity, again, to recover some money if he does happen to miss a couple of workouts and that prevents him from getting, I don't know what his threshold number is. Usually it's like 85%, but you had Aaron Rodgers who has like showing up for one session. <laughs> Aaron's a workout bonus. So, you know, um, so who knows what that is. I'll try to find out what that threshold number is. But maybe that's a little reason why. There are incentives for the deal. The incentives are based on 600 rushing yards and a bunch of touchdowns in a year. Every time he does that, he gets $750,000 the following year. Um, and the other one is a very high-level playoff success. You know, basically, you've got to make it to the Super Bowl um, to get another 750000 in escalators. The incentivized package here is not as big as some of the top players. It's not a bad incentive package, but it's not as big as some of the other guys. Uh, and again, those are also all high-end incentives. But again, probably not getting those has to deal with the fact that this number came in higher than Arizona probably wanted it to a couple of months ago. Now, some people might point to Arizona and say, oh, well, why didn't you get the deal done months ago? There was no reason for them to get the deal done months ago. There are times that you can complain about that kind of stuff. This was not one of them. Nobody in their right mind would have projected that any team in the league would have done what they did with Deshaun Watson. The, the theory coming into the Deshaun Watson trade talks was that you were going to see teams do mechanisms similar to Cleveland. While we get on Cleveland for it, I think almost every team in the league would have done it, that they were going to protect his existing guarantees in the contract via contract modification language um, that was going to protect him from suspension this year or next from anything related to all these civil cases that were against him. Uh, I believe every single team that would have traded for him was going to take his base salary for the year convert it to a signing bonus and basically say we're not going to take any of that money back if you get suspended this year you know you, you're the only thing you're going to forfeit is any of your paragraph five salary we're not going to leave your paragraph five salary at the high number to where you would lose it all i think every team in the league would have done it so while yeah cleveland it was really a bad look and it was made a worse look because they added money to the contract I think every team would have done it. Nobody expected that contract to be modified to the point where the Browns essentially gave him a one-year contract for $100 million guaranteed. So nobody thought that the market was going to be 46 this year. Nobody. And anyone that tells you they did, um, unless they, they work for Watson, you know, if they work for Watson, maybe they knew it. Other than that, nobody nobody was thinking that. You know, nobody was thinking that there, were, there was going to be any type of real disruptor in the market 
Um, especially a guy that's got, you know, 30 civil cases basically hanging over his head at the time of a trade. So, you know, I, I believe that Arizona was perfectly right to follow what would be their typical strategy in negotiating a contract extension with a young player like this in the third year of his career. So I, I don't I don't give Arizona any grief on that. And anyone that does saying, well, it cost you millions to wait, it's just being said to say it. Because there's no real logical um, logical reason to, to look at the players who were available this year and start to say to yourself, oh, yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a real big change on the horizon. So I, I don't... I don't fault them for that at all, even though it did end up costing them more money. Um, in terms of salary cap hits, uh, he's going to be 12-7 this year, 16 next year, 51-9 in 2024, 45-6 in 2025, 55-6 in 2026, 43-5 in 2027, and 46-4 in 2028. Uh, in terms of moving on from him, there's really almost no window of cutting him. There are obviously plenty of windows for trades. I don't believe he got a no trade clause. But in terms of releasing him, no, you're pretty much locked in. So you've got millions that you'd have to pay him. Uh, your dead money would be $96 million next year. be $81 million in 2024. This is going to be different than what you see on the website because what you see in the website does not factor in what actually happens in these years. So in 2025, yeah, I'm sorry, in 2024, the salary right now that's showing like it's not guaranteed is going to be guaranteed in 2025. So by the time the 2025 um, season rolls around, cost to cut at that point is $63.1 million on the cap. Uh, the cost to cut in 2026, by the time that season will roll around, would be $57 million. 2027 would be $26.7, um, which is feasible. So, you know, but you would still owe them nineteen five just to move them. So they're, they're basically locked in here um, on him unless they can find a trade partner, which, look, if Carson Wentz could get traded twice, I would think that Kyler Murray is obviously capable of being traded. And if you trade him, you know, that that's a lot different what those numbers look like. Uh, you could trade him maybe as early as 2024. Uh, trade in 2024 would be 46 dead on the cap. Um, anytime after that would be, let's see, in 2025, it'd be about 30, 33 two. So definitely 2025, you, you could trade if things really go sideways or whatnot. Um, you, you'd definitely be able to move them then. Uh, I would say that this, again, they took the low numbers on the front end of the deal, which makes sense because they need cap room kind of next year, um, you know, to do some things. And like I've always said, and I think we're seeing it play out in these contracts, 2024 is the year where the, the salary cap is really going to go up. So they're starting to, you're just dumping the money in those years. I think what you don't want to do, and it's the same thing the Chiefs face with Mahomes this year, you don't want to go in there and restructure every year. Um, you know, that that really changes things. That 
if things go well, that gives him a lot more leverage on a new contract in 2028. Um, you know, but you can, you know, you, you can restructure it. I, I think I would just probably stay away if possible. I think I would look at these and say, all right, let, let's hope these numbers are reasonable within the construct of the team, um, you know, for, for where they go uh, with everything else. Um, but there's there's probably two points where you would look at the deal and say maybe they would have to restructure, and that would be in 2024, and then the next time would be in 2026. I think those would be the two years where you would probably look at restructure potential. And it's probably in the best interest of the team if they can stay away from it, but... You know, sometimes you can't do that. Uh, you know, you get then into the other question, which is, should they have done the deal? I don't know the answer to that. I don't have the answer to it. Um, as an organization, I don't really understand what Arizona did this offseason. To me, the coach and general manager should have been on the hottest of hot seats and they got long-term extensions. So if those guys are getting long-term extensions, well, obviously Kyler Murray should be getting an extension too. Um, but I just didn't under—I I just don't understand it. Um, you know, in that respect, again, I—I I don't see the market moving so much that it's that big of a deal to wait. Other than the fact that you'd have an unhappy quarterback, and you know we've seen the dead money go up and up and up and up and up because of these guarantees and the difficulties that you you get into with some of these players you know the rams had to give away a first round pick for Jared Goff and you know to get rid of him basically and now while everyone's going to point to the fact that the rams did win the super bowl this year rams very easily could have lost to the buccaneers in that uh, early playoff game and what does the narrative become if they don't you know, win that Super Bowl. You know, you're sitting there without a first round pick because you needed to to get rid of one to get somebody to take that contract off your hands. Because the 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 negativity around Goff basically it basically it was the same thing that happened with Mayfield this year. The the negativity around the player just skyrocketed. In part because you could tell the organization had given up on him. You could tell McVeigh was done with Goff. You could tell the Browns were done with Mayfield. So it, it it limited them more, whereas the Eagles tried to play it much more like they still had use for Carson Wentz. And, you know, a lot of people, I guess, thought Carson Wentz had a little bit higher um, ceiling than all these players and was just always tampered by injury. I think people have kind of come off that theory now, but you still get the, well, if he can return to form. He had form for like three quarters of one season. That, that was That's basically Wentz's claim to fame. But... You know, those teams, like the Eagles, haven't really been... They're not where they wanted to be, let's put it that way. Uh, while they might be in a shape now, they've had to, to wiggle their way around what that contract created. And it was never anticipated or expected, I would think at least, for that contract to have gone so sideways that they wanted to walk away after two years. Um, <coughs> so... You know, I think that same potential exists here uh, because Murray's teams, by and large, have been disappointing. Uh, I think we've seen a lot. And I, I would guess this is more of a team thing. And I, I didn't really look up Murray's numbers to see this. But I do always feel as if Murray starts out the season hot as could be um, and the team starts out as hot as could be. 
And then they tail off, and by the end of the year, they just look gassed. And I feel like that's happened for most of his career, that you, you get these, the team looks decent early on, and then it just kind of comes off the rails. Maybe not as much as it did last year, um, but you know they, they haven't been, in my mind, you know, not as good. You know, I would look at them and say, well, they're a good first half team and then something changes. You know, maybe they need to work on more conditioning. Maybe it has to do with the fact that it's an older football team. Whatever it is, doesn't seem to, to stick through as the year goes on. Um, this contract also probably does change a lot of stuff for them. Arizona is not a big spending team. They're not. Uh, they're basically middle of the league kind of spenders. Um, the most they've ever spent, I think, has been 10th in the league. Um, you know, it, I'm talking about recently, I, I think in, you know, last five years, last, last six years. Um, I think that's their highest number. Uh, let me see where they're at this year right now. Let me just take a look. This year, yeah, they're, they're bottom third of the league right now at 225 is their payroll. So, you know, they're not a team that has um, shown a willingness to spend big money. And now when you've got the big number quarterback on there and you have as many holes as Arizona's had, you're going to have to figure out other ways to build a team around Murray. I've said this for a long time. They remind me very much of the Indianapolis Colts with Andrew Luck. Now, I'm not saying that Murray was Luck. And I'm not the biggest luck guy in the world either. But the presence of luck made up for the mistakes of a bad general manager and so-so coaches. And I think a lot of the same kind of holds true in Arizona. You know, the drafts have been kind of poor. They've relied a lot on free agency. They've relied a lot on taking chances of guys like coming back from injuries and having good years and a lot of older players, a lot of veteran minimum guys. And, you know, they, they've at least been able to hide some of the draft stuff uh, in part because they've been able to, you know, have that extra money from Murray being on the cheap contract for a couple of years to go out there and, you know, sign a couple of players, you know, do a trade for Chandler Jones and keep him on the team Make a move to take to get a J.J. Watt. Make a move to get a DeAndre Hopkins and quickly extend him to make him happy. Um, those days are probably gone. Um, you know, at least to the extent they've done it, it's probably more limited. I don't think that they can really be taking chances on players that are kind of positionless, uh, which I think we've seen them do a couple of times in the draft. Where you know, it, it's like you take a wide receiver who. Could be terrific, but he fits more probably that Tavon Austin mold that you don't know how, how he's going to hold up. And you can see the way they use him. They're not really sure. Um, you know, you take a hybrid safety linebacker that doesn't have a position. And it's like they, they have to, I think, really refocus on what's going to be meaningful for them and how they can start building up the depth on their team and get some better players via the draft than they've really been able to, I think, the last couple of years. So, you know, to me, they're not a team 
that was like, okay, we lock in on our quarterback and we're in the middle of a run. You know, it, they're not Buffalo. They're not where Kansas City was when they, they did their guy. Um, they're not really even where Cleveland is. You know, Cleveland as a team, if you look at their roster, um, while they don't have a lot of weapons at receiver, now I know they made the trade this year for Cooper and we're going to see how that works out. Um, you know, they, they have a terrific offensive line. They have really good players on defense. They they have their run game that's very solid. Um, you know, running game is, who knows how much it means, but at least it really helps you close out games. Um, you know, so they have a lot of stuff there and they needed improved play quarterback position. So that should take them from one level to another level. In the case of Arizona, Signing the big contract actually probably takes you down a level because now now you've got, you know, this money tied up in one guy and you know that that money is there. You know, you know it's there now hanging over you. And that probably puts a little bit more of a limit on the chances that you can take. So I don't even know if they're in a position to take, take a step forward or even maintain status quo because... They've always got so much in and out because there's so so many like one year deals and you know just plugging holes in with just guys off the street all the time. Um, you know, I, I think they just need to refocus. If you're gonna have the same people in charge, to me, this is the type of organization that needs to take a step back and you go to outside people, whether it's. Um, you know, people like myself on the contract end, whether it's, you know, your pro football focus, your football outsider, guys like that, and just start saying, you know, give us an honest assessment of what you think we do good, what you think we do bad. Give an honest assessment of where you think we're strong, where you think we're weak. And it, it's just to get an outside perspective of like, this is what you're doing this is what some other teams are doing, and maybe you should be considering doing that too. And the reason I'm saying outside is because sometimes you need that. And we've done that. I've done that before for people where you want some type of outside look at, you know, a team. You want an outside look at what a coach is doing, what a general manager is doing, what a contract guy is doing, just to get some ideas to say, okay, you know, now maybe this guy's full of nothing and I'm not going to like anything he says, but you know, if there's one thing, if, if you write somebody a 15 page report and there's one page in that, that's meaningful to you, that probably ends up being something that's pretty good. Um, but I, I don't think that you get that same, um, same process by evaluating internally, you know, what you do. Because I think there's always a reason to come up with as to why something didn't work versus why was the decision a bad decision. You know, um, you know what leads you to draft this player instead of this one? And you blame it in some way, shape, or form on the player. Instead of trying to evaluate what maybe you did wrong in your process. You know, when you have a wacky contract on your hands... What did you do wrong when you negotiated the contract versus just shrugging your shoulders and saying, 
Eh, you know, the player got lazy. He's been with you for four years. Why didn't you notice he was going to be lazy before that? You know, there's certain things like that, um, you know, that I, I think you want to look at. But, you know, for Arizona, I, I, I don't see this as a great signing. I, I think this is buying into um, a player who has shown flashes, and obviously he has that number one pick pedigree, uh, but I, he has not shown over a course of a full season. I'm not sure if Murray has shown the ability to be probably more than an average level starter in the NFL. Now you could do a lot worse than that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, it becomes a bad thing when you can never get out of that contract, um, you know, or you're very convinced that he is the guy that is going to change everything. I think that's already been shown that he's not that guy yet. Maybe he will be, but you, at this point, I think you have to go with the strategy when you're, you're building the team, if you're Arizona, that he's a part of the puzzle, but he, he's not, he's not going to be the guy that just completes the entire puzzle. You know, Josh Allen completes the entire puzzle in Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes completes the entire puzzle, um, you know, in Kansas City. Aaron Rodgers certainly has done that in Green Bay. That, that, that's not the case, I, I don't think, for Kyler Murray. You know, he's, he's a level below that, and I think he needs that kind of quality team around him to really take it to take the team to the next level. Um, as for Lamar Jackson, you know, I, I think the Ravens are probably happy with this because you, you, you didn't see the, the super high cash um, in there. You didn't see the giant market movement. You didn't see the fully guaranteed salary. So, I mean, th those things will probably all work against him. Um, I think it's just a question of how much of a raise do you give over, over him now. And I, I think part of the problem is Ravens probably don't want to go top of the market. I think the Ravens have always been focused on getting guys under market, and they're willing to put money out up front to do that. I don't think that's what Jackson wants to do. But in terms of things like per-game bonuses, years on the contract, raise over Watson, this is all stuff that's probably beneficial to Baltimore's side <coughs> when doing you know this type of contract. All right, let's get into our questions for the week. And let me see if I can go through emails first. Okay, I think this is the first email one from Josh. Uh, this is about Quentin Nelson. I believe he'll be the first $20 million guard, but will his contract be an outlier? No one else will surpass it for a few years. I enjoy the podcast and look forward to the Kyler Murray contract breakdown. Um, so hopefully you like the breakdown and from today and the, whatever I wrote on uh, OTC. Um, I don't think people will look at it as an outlier, but it, it'll probably take a special guard to beat him. Like it, it's not going to be a next man up contract. Like Kyler Murray's deal very clearly was a next man up kind of raise. Um, I don't think you'll get a next man up player to surpass that. But I don't think Nelson will be like such a block on the market like a George Kittle or an Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, in the past where they're just so, so, so much better that other teams are like, no, nah, there's just no chance. Um, you know, because even at 20 a year, 
you know, you're going to have um, what's the the next highest card is 16, I think. Uh, let me just see. You know, so you would have some ground to make up, but I, I think it's just going to be because there's ground to make up versus that. Yeah, it's 16. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, 16.5. I forgot about the Sheriff contract this year. Um, but yeah, you know, for a while, the Zach Martin contract was your, your high watermark. Um, that lasted for two seasons, maybe. Maybe three seasons. Um, you know, with that 14 number. So, I mean, it, it might be there. I just don't think it's going to be talked about as an outlier. I just think it's going to be hard to, um, you know, to beat him. That's all. Uh, let's see. Here's another Quint Nelson contract. I don't know if this is for the podcast or not. Uh, wondering if you had any predictions on a Quint Nelson extension. Uh, what are your thoughts about paying big money to a guard and non-premium position? Uh, I wouldn't pay big money to a guard. That's just me. But I do believe he'll probably be the first player... Uh, first guard to get $20 million a year. Um, guards had basically run ahead of right tackles for quite some time. Uh, the fact that right tackle, the, the top of the market, has surpassed them now, uh, that leads me to say that the top guards have a pretty strong case to be made that they should also be making around $20 million a season. And I, I would think that that's logical, um, that he would want to get there. And, you know, I, I do think it's possible because, you know, the, the Colts did make Leonard the top guy at 19-7 at linebacker. Um, now, maybe you want to say that, you know, that that was their, their attempt to say, no, we won't go to 20. We'll go to 20 with incentives, which is what Leonard's contract does, but we won't go to 20. Maybe the same thing happens with Nelson, too. Um, but I, I believe that, you know, they took a big leap with Leonard, and I think Leonard came after Fred Warner, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't have it in front of me. Let me look real quick. Leonard was August 8th, and Fred Warner was probably July. Yeah, July 21st. So, I mean, th th there was another contract at least close for them to work off of. Um but realistically, I mean, that deal had just kind of gotten done. Before that, the number was 17. They knew they were going to have to get into the 19 range. 16 to 20 is a big jump. 17 to 19 to 20 is not that much different of a jump. So, um, yeah, I hope he's probably going to come in 19 or 20 million a year. Um, I would guess is where he'll be. Peter has a Jets question. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is about a Jets podcast. Uh, I'll get back to you, Pete, on that and see if I could do a... Uh, looks like a Monday night show with you. Um, I'll see if I can do that. Uh, Monday nights sometimes are a lot freer than my other nights of the week. So uh, I'll see if I can uh, do a Jets podcast. Max has a question. Uh, are there times when it makes sense for teams to invest premium resources in positions that are lower on the positional value spectrum, such as tight end or safety? It seems that there's a rational argument that top players at those positions are undervalued by the market, even though I know it's a smart argument to be made that you can find competent pr uh, production at those uh, positions fairly easily. I know you're not a fan of the Kyle Pitts, for example. Ca case to be made that a top tight end is as valuable as a number one rise wide receiver, even if they aren't paid as much. Um, I have no issues... To, actually, I, I don't have any issues at all 
if you want to pay a tight end, you want to pay a safety in free agency, provided you are already set at those other positions. So if I've drafted well, and you know, and we just all assume we've, we've got a quarterback, right? It's not really meaningful if you don't have a quarterback. Um, so you got a competent quarterback already. But if I have a pass rusher that I drafted who's good, if I have a couple of corners who I drafted or, you know, having free agency, you know, want to draft one in free agency who are good. Um, you know, I have my left tackle set. I have a couple of wide receivers who are good. I don't mind then going and spending on those positions. What I don't like doing is spending on those positions in the draft. Spending on those positions in the draft is kind of pointless because there's so much availability of those players in free agency. Um, you know, PFF had a really good article this week on offensive line play and why it's important uh, for the offensive line to be good, but you don't need premier talent, um, you know, to make that line somehow magically better, to make the team incredibly better. So in other words, the, the, the jump up from like a $17 million left tackle to a $23 million left tackle has a very minimal impact on the, the play of the team. But at the same time, the, um, you know, a jump from like a veteran minimum left tackle to a $17 million tackle would be an astronomical jump in performance. So I think basically that the same holds true. What you're trying to do as a team, and this is difficult to do, and it's, sometimes I think it's very hard to, to kind of break this apart, but what you're really trying to do is build the best 53-man roster that you can have. Now, obviously there's a lot of moving parts on a 53-man, so it's really less than that. You're probably looking to build probably like a top 35 players top 33, 34, 35 players. So you want to come up with what are the ways that you can optimize that. Let's say you need three pass rushers on your team, two starters and a situational guy who are, you know, every one of those guys is going to play a good amount of snaps. So you need those three players. You don't find quality starters really in free agency. So you have to draft them. So if I'm drafting a tight end, that I can readily find in free agency, a position I can readily find, even if he's not as good as Kyle Pitts. So let's say Pitts is going to give me a thousand yards a year in production. I can probably go out in free agency and find myself a tight end for ten million that will give me seven hundred yards of production. And you know, there's different ways that you can obviously you're going to look at this through like a WAR metric or however you want to look at it. But let's let's just use that as an example. Um. So th those are my options, what I could do there. At pass rusher, I probably will go into free agency and have to spend $17 million to get a pass rusher who, you know, even though I'd rather measure in pressures, but I'll talk of sacks here, you know, is probably going to give me seven sacks a year. And... That's the best I can get. You know, I'm not going to get a grade A pass rusher. I'm going to spend 17 for a couple of sacks. And then I'm going to have to go and buy maybe another second level pass, pass rusher because I bypassed on that player in the draft. So now I'm paying $35 million 
for 14 sacks between my two starters. My third guy can come later in the draft, my third guy. that That's going to be constant in either approach. But I did that so I could get the 1,000 yards, a, a plus 300 at tight end, when my other option um, you know, might have been to draft the pass rusher, have that ability to get 13, 14 sacks out of that drafted pass rusher, um, go out and buy the tight end for... $10 million, and that still leaves me $7 million that I can spend on my third pass rusher, you know, and then I'll spend up on my second pass rusher. So, you know, my, my team, my overall team is going to be much better off because I'm able to fill all these voids now with higher quality talent overall than... Maybe maybe I'm not getting the ultra high level play of the super tight end, but I'm getting really good play out of a pass rusher. I got money to spend on another position, you know. And it, you you start to add all those things up. Let's say you did that with WAR, and you're trying to maximize your total WAR on 30 players on a team. That probably gets you to your highest total. You know, where would that be? What would be if Pitts was drafted sixth, I think, you know, what would be the... Let's even just put him in as the unicorn. You you put him in as the best of the best. What does that produce versus the average expectation for a top 10 drafted pass rusher? Now we're going to put in what is the average expectation for... We'll choose three different positions that I can use the cost savings on, right? The the difference in value, the the 17.5... Versus the seven five, you know, so, um, so that there's a whole bunch of different, um, you know, different things that we can do there to come up with ways to maximize teams. Now, you you want to do it with a bunch of players, but you can do it even with just if or kind of scenarios. <clears throat> you know, just look at two positions. Um, so we know tight end is one, and you choose one other position on your team, and. You know, you figure out well, what are the different things we could do with the extra money, and you know who could we bring in, and how much would that help our team? So, my point on these positions isn't that you you should never spend on a safety. You should only be spending on a safety really in free agency. You shouldn't be wasting your top draft picks on a player like that. You shouldn't be wasting your top draft picks on a tight end. Don't waste your top draft picks on a running back. Don't waste your top picks on a linebacker those players really good ones readily available in free agency there are no wide receivers available in free agency there are no left tackles available in free agency there are no um no there are cornerbacks there's no quarterbacks available in free agency you know there's positions that are simply not available in free agency you have to fill those voids first in the draft that you need before you can move on to saying, I'm better off hoping that I've got the unicorn in Jamal Adams, who's not really a unicorn. Um, Pitts, who maybe will be a unicorn player. You know, it, I'm better off with that. Um, you know, I mean, even, even a guy like Gronkowski, you know, Gronkowski's the best tight end to ever play. I don't think that's even an argument anymore. 
does Gronkowski have the success that he has, the team success that they had in New England, if Gronkowski's quarterbacks were Mark Sanchez, um, Greg McElroy, Sam Darnold, Geno Smith, you know, if that's what would have happened, even though you had the unicorn, you had the goat, what would it have amounted to? It would have amounted to a tight end that would have had a bunch of yards from a lousy quarterback or quarterbacks, and the team every year still would have been like a five-win team. So, <clears throat> you know, that that's that's kind of the way that, that I look at um, I look at that. So not a question of not paying up, but it's where you pay up. And, uh, you know, you, you're not paying up when you don't have the other positions. It's not worth going in and paying up either. You know, like if my team sucks, I'm not going to be a game changer because I went and paid $16 million for a safety and $14 million for a tight end. You know, when my quarterback is still Sam Darnold. So, you know, it, it depends on the team. But when you have those other positions in place, by all means, yeah. You know, you, you've got to have players there. It's not like you can just grab a guy off the street and throw him in. You, you just want to maximize your roster construction, maximize your resources for building your roster. All right. I think that's it for the email. Sorry if I missed anybody. Um, let's see. All right, here we go. All right, New York Friars. Friars forever. Uh, will you delete your account when Brees Hall wins Offensive Rookie of the Year? <laughs> Fans get so sensitive, man. Um, no, I, did you used to be the New York Darnolds? Anyway, um, no, I will not be deleting my account if Brees Hall wins the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I hope Brees Hall's good. He may be good. Um, I just don't like the strategy of what they did with drafting a running back. I, I don't think it's anything more than that. It has nothing to do with him as a player. It has nothing to do with him as a person. It has nothing to do with the Jets being the Jets. It just has to do... I would say that about any team in the league. If you're a bad team, there's no point in really moving up for running back. Now, do I hope that he is like this generation's... Priest Holmes or something? Sure. You know, the Marshall Falk of the world. That that would be wonderful. Um, but no, I will not be deleting my account if he wins the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I, I'm sure even going back, I had nothing bad to say about him as a player. It was just a statement about a position. Uh, Stroke City FC, is there a latest point in the season someone can still join a team? Uh, only has to do if the player is really retired. Otherwise, yeah, you can join a team pretty much whenever. Uh, retired or holding out. You know, if your player is a holdout. Uh, what is a hypothetical contract projection for Jimmy G if he's released? Um, under $5 million. You know, if Baker Mayfield is at like 4 8 with upside to 7 you know, $3 bucks or something like that. Um, you know, I... I don't think there's going to be much. I mean, may, maybe if somebody really, really, really loves him, they'll do 7-5 to make the trade with San Francisco. You know, they'll, they'll take the salary that's injury guaranteed right now. Um, 
and that would really be it. You know, that that's the only reason I would see that. Uh, Brian says, what was the value of Murray forfeiting his 17th game check to lower his 2022 and 2023 cap? It's no, just to keep Arizona from paying $1.75 million. Um, they're gonna, the argument from the team is that that's uh, a benefit, that that's not really a salary cap portion of a contract. That's not a negotiated part of a contract. It's not in his existing contract, so they're not going to honor it um, in any extension talks. So that's that. Kane says, what's your opinion on the Jets' new alternate helmets? I didn't really like them. I liked the uniform. I thought the, I thought the black uniform that they had, I thought was real sleek looking. I didn't really like the helmet, though. I, I, I don't know why. I, I didn't really care for that. I thought the uniforms were great, uh, but I, I, the helmet kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, Colin, extra question, please. In light of your work, uh, increases in contracts for top 20 positions to these position group uh, workshops potentially increase the wages of those at the top by increasing the wages uh, for those at the bottom. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think to some extent they do. Um, whoops, hold on, I just lost something there. Um, yeah, you know, they, they probably do. I, I'd have to look more, um, you know, at that to see. Because, you know what, the, there are players at certain positions that have been squeezed out completely. Um, but I do know from some of the things where I've gone beyond those top 20s, you do see some movement in the other positions as well. Um, I'd have to just, I'd have to go back and look at that. You know, may, maybe this summer I'll do a little bit more of a uh, um, look at, at that in particular. Ralph says, how does the reported Apple offer of $3 billion per year for Sunday ticket affect future salary cap numbers? Uh, would depend on when it, that deal came in. Uh, I don't know what the, the contract is with Direct TV right now. Um, I'm sure I could probably look it up. So you know, but obviously it would increase it uh, from where it was. Um, now remember, the three billion per year is probably not going to be. If that's what the offer is, it's probably not going to be three billion flat. You know, you you might start off at um, you know depending on how long the contract runs for. You know, it might be something that starts off as low as 1.5 and, you know, jumps up, um, you know, to 4 or 5 down the line. Um, you know, $3 billion per year, uh, you know, that basically gives $1.5 billion to each team. Ah, I'm sorry, to the players' side of it. So, I mean, that, that would be a pretty, you know, pretty big jump. Um, you know, in there. So, but I, I don't know how much larger it is than what's there now. So that that just makes it a little harder to guess um, as to what it would do. Let's see. So if it's like two billion more than what's there now, um, so half of that goes to the players, give or take a little bit. It's probably a little bit less than that. And some of it goes to benefits. Just doing quick numbers here on this, you know. 
you know, I mean, that, that might have an impact. You know, if, if it was a $2 billion a year increase over what's there now, you know, that, that could have an impact of $20 million a year in cap room. You know, a little bit more than that. Um, but it, it depends on what the gap is. But the, the NFL, I'm sure, will, um, you know, bring it in and out over time. Uh, after Murray has signed Wilson and Herbert looks to, to be locks for contracts that will be substantially bigger than Mahomes, will that influence the arms race in the AFC West or the difference is probably not big enough to play a role in that regard? Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I think... So, for the Chargers, because he's young... You know, it's going to keep the cap numbers probably lower on the front end, and they will probably have an advantage over Kansas City in the short term um, because of that. Kansas City will probably have an advantage in the long term because they, they have Mahomes under contract for so long. Wilson is so much older um, that I think that contract extension for Denver is probably something that would be a very short-term move uh, would probably only influence them for one year, and then it would probably begin to become a negative just in terms of their overall roster. I'm not saying he's going to be a negative as a player, but you're not going to get as much out of him, um, you know, that you would. So I, I think the I think the way that I would look at it is the Chargers are probably in a better position than the Chiefs for the next three years maybe even four, and then the Chiefs will be in a better position for the next three or four years after that um, based on the, the contracts that will be in play for those uh, the quarterbacks there. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why you saw Kansas City not tinker with that deal this year because then you might get to a point where you do lose that competitive edge that you, you've built in uh, with this wonderful contract you have. Uh, Connor is asking, when you say teams spend over the cap, example, the Chargers spend 110% of the cap, what exactly does that mean? Why can teams spend over the cap every year and never technically be over? Um, sure. So remember, the salary cap is an accounting thing. So um, for Murray, just since I have that open right now, he's, he gets a signing bonus this year of you know $29 million or so. Um, 29.035, I think it is. And we're going to divide that across five years. So on the cap, that is only going to count for $5.807 million, even though I am spending $29 million on my payroll. So that's why when we look at it, we, we say that teams are often cash over cap because you're deferring so many of your salary cap costs to the future. Um by using these mechanisms, you're able to spend a lot more money than the salary cap is. So while the cap in the NFL is a hard cap, um, it's very flexible with the ways that you can get under the salary cap. But the main thing to look at it is for accounting purposes, we can take a lot of salary and prorate it across five years but it doesn't change our cash obligation to the player um so hopefully that explains it a little bit 
Uh, Brian, how does the Packers backfield look longer term? With Jones' contract, he's likely to be cut after this year. Dylan's contract is up in 2023. Would you anticipate an extension for Dylan? I don't think he's done enough to warrant any kind of extension talk, right? Um, let me just see. Uh, you know, 800 yards. Eh, he's he's be- actually had a better year than I thought. Um, I wouldn't anticipate an extension for him. Um, remember, they, they let Jones get all the way to the end of his contract, and I would anticipate the same thing would happen here. Um, you know, why why waste your money on extending a running back? It's just no purpose to it. Jacob, uh, in regards to Bates not getting extended, do you think it was more the safety tag number being so low or more of Minka's driving up the price? No, I think it, it's a byproduct of the fact that the safety tag is so low that it, it's financially um, in the favor of teams to tag a player two times. And if you don't need the tag for anyone else, um, you know, you, you, you know you have it for two years to use. Uh, Bob, what are your thoughts on a possible extension for Bradley Chubb, assuming he plays at a Pro Bowl level like he did in 2018 and 2020? Um, So Chubb, let me just pull up the edge market here because he's going to get paid as an edge. So let's see. He had terrific numbers. Two of those three years, um, it was very injury prone. You know, I would guess all things being equal, you know, if he's if he's healthy, um, you know, probably 24, 25. Like, he would get more than Crosby, who's at 23.5. I don't know if he would surpass Garrett at 25. Um, you know, that contract will be a little bit old at that point, but I don't think he would... So I, I would guess probably 24 is kind of the the kind of number um, that we'd be looking at. Now, if he ends up having like a off-the-charts kind of crazy year, yeah, that, then then you're talking about something. But I, I think given the injury history and everything else, I, I think you got have to be cautious with him, um, I think. Colin, uh, when should a team consider using the post-June 1 designation? Is there a difference between having dead money via void years in the contract versus guaranteed money in the life of the contract? Um, Not in a sense. uh, Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there is a difference. Um, Dead money after the contract means that you had more money to utilize to... um, put the best team that you could on the field when that player was still on the team. Um, You know, but in terms of using the post-June 1, I think the only reasons that you would use the post-June 1 are if you're a team with salary cap troubles and you have a player whose cap hit, if you release him, is going to be as high as if you kept him on the team um, and you've got salary cap troubles to begin with because you need money to sign your rookies, and that can be problematic. So what you want to do in those cases is you carry the player at his salary cap hit, since that would be the same as if you released him, and then on June 1, you get to split that money to the next year, and that gives you the cap space you need to get all your rookies signed. 
So that that's really the the main reason that teams use the June one these days um, is because they need the cap room to expand the roster to fifty three in a practice squad and to get their rookies signed. So that that's really the reason to use the June one. Uh, talk through a hypothetical of Lamar playing out a season in Baltimore, deciding on a non-exclusive tag after the year. What offers would you expect? At what numbers would the Ravens match? First, take the picks and move on. Uh, could this possibly be a smart move to get him signed via a match? No. So, I, I it's very hard for me to believe they would do that unless they wanted to lose him. Um, you know, and that they would be content with that. So, I mean, if we go and we look at Jackson. Where are the Ravens next year with their cap? About 40 under. Um, let me just pull this up here. Jackson's in his last year, right? Or is he second to last year? No, he's in his final year. So they're at 40 right now. Um, you know, that's there. And... I'm not sure exactly how much flexibility they have. What you would have happen is, I'll use a team like the Bears as an example. Um, the Bears, who are going to have $90 million in cap space, would put an offer sheet together that would do something like $70 million cap hit in year one, $30, $40 million cap hit in year two. And the number would be so big Baltimore probably couldn't match it. They probably wouldn't have enough flexibility in their roster to create that kind of cap space. At least I don't think they would. Um, you know, again, I'm not going through their whole roster right now and playing the situation out. But for them to use a non-exclusive tag, they would have to have the utmost confidence that there is no team in the league that could craft an offer um, that they couldn't match. And, you know, that, that would basically be what you would do. And, you know, they could fully guarantee a contract and stuff like that as well, which maybe the Ravens wouldn't have the money to, to deal with. I'm not sure um, what their situation would be in that regard. But just in terms of stuff, you would have to be confident that you could match anything possible um, to use a non-exclusive tag. If, um, you know, and in terms of using the rest of the league to negotiate for you, if the other teams believe that you can match the offer, they're probably not going to waste the time in negotiating a contract. Like it wouldn't do the Bears any good to negotiate a contract, basically completely ruin a relationship with Justin Fields, um, have a giant salary cap hold of let's say 40 or 50 million dollars on them in free agency, try to sign players that they think would be a fit around Lamar Jackson only to have the Baltimore Ravens match the offer and then they have to go back to Justin Fields or you know who knows that they, they have to go into free agency and go sign Baker Mayfield or somebody like that. So you know I, I think for them, uh, you know, for, for any situation, if they were to use the non-exclusive tag, it would mean that they would have an inkling that nobody would make an offer because no team would want to negotiate the contract for Baltimore. Um, so, 
I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I believe it would be a, I believe they'll do a uh, exclusive tag on him. But you're going to wait and see. You know, maybe he'll get a deal done. Uh, thanks for your hard work. Given the release of the Packers annual accounts, which presumably mirror the accounts of other teams, do you think the players union left too much on the table when negotiating the last CBA? Um, I, I did. I, I don't think they probably left too much on the table in terms of the revenue split. You know, I, I think that they, they probably should have gotten a little bit more in that revenue split, at least make it officially 50, 50, um, you know, to do. I think where they left too much on the table was they give teams too much leeway in doing what the Bears are doing this year, just blowing up a roster. Um, they they give way too much leeway to teams to control players' rights for too many seasons. You know, the, the fact that you draft a player, a player who's drafted shouldn't be obligated to be on that team for four or five years. Teams know right away, um, they know within two, you know, if you can play or not. It's only a couple of occurrences where they don't know it. So, you know, they I think they made big mistakes in not really hunkering down and going after this approach that rookies should only be rookies given the, the life cycle in the NFL. They should only be on rookie contracts for two or three years at the most. Doesn't matter where you're drafted. It should only be two or three years. You know, get rid of restricted free agency. Um... All of that should have been done, and it hasn't been. And I, I think that was the, that's the issue. But, you know, the revenue split stuff, I mean, it's close to a 50-50 split. So, you know, yeah, I don't think you can argue too much about that. But I, I think you want to find ways to push teams into spending more, and they don't do that right now. They, the system is completely set up to allow teams to get away with spending less. Uh, Joseph, how does the Collier contract affect Lamar? I think now he has a ton of leverage since Collier is at least as much risk and is way less proven. Lamar is only seven months older. Um, Yeah, like I said before, I I think there's some bad that's there. You know, the per game stuff, the the fact that it didn't jump that much higher um, than Watson. uh, You know, little things like that, you know, the guarantee package. Um, But I don't know, you know, Baltimore does their contracts very differently. So I, I have no idea... Um, you know, what what they're thinking. Uh, but I, I would think they were probably happy with the way the deal went down. Um, but maybe they maybe they would have liked it a little better. Well, no, they definitely would have liked it better if he came in under Mahomes because I'm sure that's where they wanted Jackson to be. And, you know, that that's where the, the Wentz and Goff players ended up. Um, you know, so maybe they would have liked that a little bit too. Black Gold, how does surplus value on contracts compare on average first round picks versus players who make the same amount on their second contract? Um, I'd have to look at that a little bit closer. But in general, I mean, it, it's a it's a pretty big gap. You know, I, I really have to pull out our valuations and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I mean, if you look at it, um, you know, an average first round pass rusher probably gives you the same value as a player that you'd spend like $17 million a year on, um, you know, and... Obviously, he's only going to cost you maybe like five. 
So, you know, that that's pretty significant. Um, you know, the, the player who's making five at that position is probably somebody who's only playing 30 or 35 percent of the snaps and, you know, is a very specific role player. Either they're coming in on, you know, third and longs or they're more of a run guy and they're coming in on first downs. And, you know, the first round pass rusher is going to be a guy who is probably playing three downs. Um, you know, more often than not, you know, 70% of the snaps putting up big numbers, um, you know, and obviously when you, you take that pick, there's a chance you're getting a superstar and more often than not in free agency, that is completely non-existent. Guys are usually healthier when they're younger too. They miss less games. So they're more productive that way, but I'd actually have to run through the numbers to see, but it'd be a pretty big gap. Uh, Vin, with the Chiefs not being willing to spend money, uh, will they be able to take advantage of the biggest competitive advantage in the league, the Mahomes contract? Well, yeah. I mean, for them, it still allows them to function because they basically have Mahomes at a cheap figure relative to the rest of the league. If they had Mahomes on a legitimate, on a contract that was, you know, going to average, you know, he should have... Let's say he should have been four years, 43, followed by four years, 53, followed by four years, 60. You know, and I'm just throwing numbers out there. You know, and instead he's at 1245 or 1045 or whatever it is. Um, you know, obviously that that is allowing the Chiefs to function because it's giving them a bunch of extra money to spend on the roster. And while we can look at that at the discount and say, well... They're not keeping Tyreek Hill. They're not keep, they're not extending Orlando Brown, and they're not doing this and not doing that. Well, just imagine how much worse it would be if Mahomes was earning even more. You know, it, it would be a lot worse. You know, for that they wouldn't have those guys, and they probably wouldn't have signed Valdez Scantling in free agency. You know, they would just say, "Well, do what you can with Nicole Hardman, and see what you can do from there." Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think. I think they are getting an advantage from it. It's just not overt. You know, it's like the Brady thing. Like, Brady gave the discount, but Brady is, you know, cheap. Uh, I'm sorry, the Patriots have been cheap. Um, you know, the, the the Patriot way. You know, they they get a bunch of guys on lower-cost contracts. And I think Brady realized that at the end, like, they're not bringing in stars for me to play with here. They're expecting me to create a star or the coach is going to develop a star. They're not bringing in, they're not finding ways to bring in, you know, higher level talent, um, you know, to help me compete with some of these younger quarterbacks who are, you know, coming up in the league right now. Uh, Will, when are you coming on the Turn on the Jets pod? Um, I'll have to see, I guess, when, when that would be. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, you can let me know. I'll see when I can hop on. Uh, can the Chiefs restructure maneuver Mahomes' money at any time to create uh, salary cap space? Was there a deadline to do this? So, yeah, th there's always times to do it. Um, Mahomes has off-season roster bonuses, so those are gone. You, you can't restructure those roster bonuses. Um, but you can restructure his base salary. But th this year, so this year the window is gone. Um, but next year, you know, you basically you have until like, I don't know, whenever his roster bonuses do, third day of the league year, something like that. 
Um, you have until then to to restructure his contracts to uh, to bring the money down. So basically, yeah, third like third day of the league year, fifth day of the league year. So early March, late February is your deadline on Mahomes. Assuming Orlando Brown essentially duplicates what he did last year, this year, what do you think will happen with him next offseason? Um, well, I think the Chiefs would tag him again unless he can get them to agree to a deal this year where they won't tag him next season. I could see that. If things get really bad, but you already heard the coach who uh, took the approach, uh, we already got a guy that can, we, we know we can go play there. Um, so I don't, I don't think they're going to give him any leverage, but I think they would just tag him again um, is what would happen. And I don't think they would extend him because I don't think they're going to look at this and go, we offered you 18 you played the same as last year. Now we're going to offer you 23. I think it's like we offered you 18. You played well again. We'll offer you 18 again. You know, we were expecting you to play well, and we think it's worth $18 million. So I think it would just be a second tag, and then they would divorce after that season. Uh, if Brady retires after the season, how do you think the Bucks cap situation will look like going into 23-24? Um, I don't think their cap is probably in very good shape. Let's see. Bucks. So next year the Bucks project to be 51-7 over the cap. That's with Brady at That's as low as Brady can get. You know, that he's at an 11-9 hit, so even if he retires and they June 1 retire him, that's going to drop to 10-8. So I mean, they're 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 not in a good position with the cap. They're going to have to restructure a lot of guys next year. Yeah, they're, uh, they're in a pretty bad position. I'm just looking... Do I have the right... No, I have the wrong season up. Hold on. I have the wrong season up. So now Brady's number... Okay, so Brady's number, if he retires, will probably drop from 35 to 11. Um, so you'd gain... So you'd be about 25 over. Um, you know, next year. Okay, so they, they do have some guys they can restructure for cap room. They, they're just going to have to do a, a whole restructuring of that entire roster. They're going to be like the Saints. Um, you know, basically just having to constantly restructure. Which teams are most extreme in how they value different positions? Oh, I'd, I'd have to, to break those down. Well, I'll do that at some point in the summer. Um, you know, look at some of these teams that go wild on certain positions. Um you know, and to get an idea. But, you know, I mean, like the Cowboys typically would be a team, um, you know, for offensive line. You know, they, they've been in the past in that regard. They might not be anymore just because the contracts are older now. Um, you know, on a salary cap basis, you know, the Cowboys have a lot at running back. Um, Giants have a lot at wide receiver. Was the Ravens have like no investment in wide receiver. Patriots have ridiculous amount in the tight ends compared to everybody else, um, you know. But I, I'd have to actually run all the positions, so we didn't do it just on cap numbers, but just on uh, you know overall impact and you know see the the differences. Like the Colts have no cap invested in safety this year, five seven, top of the leagues at twenty five. Um, but I, I'd have to do that. We'll we'll do it at some point this summer. 
uh, Native Son, Lamar's uh, franchise tag next season. I would say it's headed that way. And, you know, you're probably looking at like a $45 million cap hit number for the exclusive tag. Uh, Zach, do you ever envision a non-quarterback position ever getting fully guaranteed contracts? And if so, which ones? Well, technically, your rookies get them. Um, you know, that that's why people's claiming like fully guaranteed contracts have never existed are kind of off, you know. We've seen contracts that are one year in length are fully guaranteed. Two years in length might be both guaranteed. Um, certainly your rookie contracts are fully guaranteed if you're a first-round player, regardless of position. It's not like the CBA says you must guarantee it. Um, that's just been negotiated that way. But I, I think if there was a non-quarterback position to get it, it would probably be if a pass rusher, like a real elite pass rusher, was able to shake loose into free agency and signed a three-year contract. I don't think anything more than three years. I think if it was a four-year contract, maybe they guarantee 75 of it, but not the full amount. But I think if they did a three-year contract somewhere, um, you might get a fully guaranteed deal. Uh, Michael says, with the rise in cost to keep the quarterback, do you think teams will be quicker to cut losses and pursue other options? Uh, top seven to 10 will always get paid, but will the other 20 spots be younger rolls of the dice? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I've talked about this before. The the teams are just very, they're not proactive in addressing the position. You know, you can't be Dallas and say, well, we don't know what we want to do with Dak when you've invested nothing else at the position. I don't know. Who else did they, was Mike White originally on the Cowboys? Was he originally there? Was that like their investment in the position? Let me look that up. I might be mixing him up with one of the other quarterbacks. He was there in 2018. Um, there may have been another quarterback that drafted too. But, I mean, you, you need to, if you're a team, you need to be investing young. You have to do like what the Eagles did, where you've got Wentz. And now, obviously, Wentz was already on the contract. But, um, you know, you draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. And that's really what all these teams should be doing is you draft in the first, you draft in the second, and it doesn't matter what those other who those other players are on your team. You know, unless you've got the super stud player, um, you know, that that's what you should be doing. But no teams do it. They they wait and then it's like, oh, we need a quarterback. Well, yeah, you needed a quarterback, you know, before this. So it's like you have to be proactive with it. Um you know, and some of the teams this year maybe think they're being proactive with it with those third because those players all dropped into the third round, and a lot of people thought they were first round talents. So, you know, maybe that'll help some of those teams. Um, but I, I, I don't think we're at the point where teams are going to let their quarterbacks go into free agency because they just don't have any alternative options right now. Uh, what does the Seahawks cap situation look like going into 23 and beyond? Um, they should be okay with their cap. I don't think anything has stood out with them as awful. I think in like middle of the road. Uh, let's see. So this year they have about 16, so that'll drop down. They'll probably have 10 to carry over. I have them third most in the league next year. Um, if Metcalf does a deal, probably have a cap hit that'll eat up 15 million of that. Um, you know, that, that'd still put them in the middle of the league. You know, so they'll be fine. They'll, they'll be middle of the league in the NFL. Um, so, 
you know, they, they don't have a quarterback under contract. So <clears throat> they have a lot of money they, they should be able to spend elsewhere. Uh, what does a limited linebacker contract look like? Generally, I'm thinking of a Denzel Perryman type. A um, couple million a year. You know, uh, they trade. Is that the, they traded for him? Or did they sign him as a free agent? I, I'm trying to remember. Was he the one that was signed elsewhere and then traded? Um, let me see. Yeah, so, I mean, just to give you an idea, he signed for $3 million in uh, Carolina last year. And he was traded, um, you know, pretty early on in the contract um, over to the Raiders. So, you know, he's a $3 million player. You know, if, if they want to say he's better, you know, four. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the market for the most part, for those types of linebackers is not very high because there's a lot of them. <laughs> Steven shared some of the buy in Dallas. Yeah, that's silly. Okay. Um, how should the Raiders best utilize the remaining cap space, extensions, free agent signings? Neither. Uh, I don't think you're going to look much in the way of free agents. Um, I don't even know who they would really, other than Waller, I don't know if any extensions really uh, jump out. And the Waller thing would really be more to avert, um, I think, what could turn into a bad situation uh, for someone that should be an important part of their offense. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'll have to wait and see on it. But I, I don't... Nothing is really... Um, you know, th this time of year, you know, you're not going to find a lot. The Raiders, you know, the Raiders did a weird thing this week. They used up, they've been all over the place. Uh, they used up cap space on Devontae Adams. They restructured his contract for next year already. So it's a really weird move. I, I forgot about that. Um, it's really strange. They will make out worse in the short term. And this is a short term for them, right? Um they shouldn't really be caring about how much the cost is going to be to release Adams in 2024 or have his contract or 2025, one of those two years. They're a little bit better off now if they have to release him, but they made their cap situation a little worse this year and they made it a little worse next year than if they had just kept the status quo, carried the money over and restructured him next year. It was a very weird move. I'm not sure if there was another reason for it. It was a very, very odd move by them. Um, you know, and they've been knocking salaries down. Denzel Good got his salary cut. Uh, I think they cut one of their RFA guys. Um, so they're, they're all over the place with what they're doing now. But they're probably best suited to carry their money over to next year and try to maximize their window of opportunity um, in 2022 and 2023. Uh, if the Jets prove this season to be a very talented team, but Zach Wilson continues to stink, where do you think the Jets will turn for a quarterback in 2023? Um, I would guess if we're talking that the Jets are talented enough to be a playoff team in spite of Wilson stinking, 
I would imagine they'll just bury their head in the sand and yell again. Josh Allen was bad too. Um, you know, and they'll just expect him to be better next year. So I would think still Zach Wilson. If the team is another is a four win team, but they're competitive, meaning the defense plays great and they're losing a bunch of games like seventeen thirteen. Um, you know, if that was to occur, then my guess is they would draft somebody because again, you're going to end up with a top six pick. Uh, and if you have to, you would trade up to to be able to to bring someone in, um, or you would you know, be looking at who are your couple of veteran possibilities that maybe would be a little bit better or definitely better than Zach Wilson. Um, I don't know who those would be. You know, your Mayfields or whatever. Um, you know, maybe you look at a veteran who's kind of maybe going to fall out of favor sometime soon with his team. Um, but it, it's hard for me to see a situation where Zach Wilson is bad and the Jets are competitive. Like, I think the Jets have to have Zach Wilson be competent to be competitive. And as long as he's somewhat competent, um, there there's still enough, quote-unquote, potential that's going to be leaned on to where he'll be the starting quarterback in 2023 as well. Uh, last question. At least I think last one. Deadstroke. Uh, at the start of the season, is there an advantage to using PUP Reserve, NFI Reserve, over IR Return? Um the IR return is shorter, I believe. Um, you know, your, your reserve lists, the, the players, um, you know, are going to have to be out for a longer period of time uh, before you can um, bring them in. So, you know, I, I would, I think that's the main reason why. Um, I think it's a shorter time frame that you can bring them back for the IR stuff um, versus going on the other lists. And, oh, I just got a last question in here. Um, could the Cowboys bring in Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup uh, for $6 million? Um, sure. They could they could fit him. They, they have the cap room this year if they wanted to do that. Um, I don't know if they would really plan on doing that. But, yeah, they, they'd be able to uh, to do that. So, all right. That, uh, that ends it for me. So, everybody have a great week. And I will talk to you all again soon.